Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Here we are on another, <laughs> that was sounding like, like some kid's news show. All right, we're at another one of our field trip on location places. And if you've never been here before, let us introduce it to you. This is uh, the Far West Temple site. Um, we aren't there at the beginning of our chapters today, but we will be there by the time we get to the end of the chapters today. So we wanted to kind of just... Um, be here and for some really fun stories and and interesting and powerful things that happen for a really short time while the church was kind of headquartered in in far west um we're 111 through 114. what if we had gone here salem massachusetts we could be in salem massachusetts right now yeah sorry everyone we did not do that for our thing um but 111 does happen in salem the only one that happens in salem it seems kind of random but this is what's going on you remember last time we just had, uh, we talked about the Kirtland Temple and we were there and talking about the promises and the keys that were restored and the blessings that would go out from that place. You also may remember they built that in their poverty. It was so expensive and they were still um, what today would be over a million dollars in debt for the building of the temple. And also Zion's camp, you remember, because the saints had been kicked out of Jackson County and they're still in some of these other counties, but right, all of this is, is so expensive. and. And so they're looking for ways. How do we like not go bankrupt? How do we pay our debts? And there's this man who comes to Joseph, William Burgess, and he says, I know of this hidden treasure in Salem, Massachusetts. Should we go? And they're like, okay, let's go. So they gather together this crew and they go up there. And as they're walking through, this guy, uh, William, is like, well, I I, I thought it was here. (laughs) I thought it was here. It's just, man, I can't remember where it is. And they can't find it. And so... Joseph prays, and this is the answer, 111. And it's interesting because it starts off and the Lord's like, listen, I'm not mad at you for coming on this journey, even though it wasn't a super smart idea. He calls it one of his follies. He says, because I have much treasure for you in this city. And we love the idea that Joseph goes looking for money treasure, but God has an entirely different treasure in mind for them in that place. Um, we kind of learn a lesson about his priority uh, mm. versus our priorities. What was the real treasure um, that was there? Uh, we like in verse three where God says, I'm gonna lead you to treasure and look how he says he's gonna lead people to treasure in verse three. There's blanks on your study guide and it says, as you shall be led and as it shall be given you. Um, But also notice in that verse that he's talking about, I want you to become acquainted with people. That you're looking for this kind of treasure, um, but it's the treasure of people that I'm really interested in you finding um, in that place. And so they do. They become acquainted with the people there. Um, There will end up being a, a branch of the church that grows up in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, Joseph will actually hand the copy of this revelation to Erastus Snow one day and he says, here, will you go fulfill this in Salem? And so he goes on that, on that mission there. But um, 
You the, love when you're talking about priorities right here. In verse five um, is where you kind of see him helping to adjust Joseph's perspective. He tells him, concern not, not yourselves about your debts, for I will give you power to pay them. And so it's almost as if he's saying, I see the problem. I acknowledge the problem. I'm going to take care of the problem. Your job is the people. And that's the treasure I want you to be invested in right now. And the Lord will eventually take care of that debt. It won't happen until Brigham Young, but, but he will take care of it. And that debt ends up being a, a cause of sifting for many people during this time. So it's interesting just to watch the Lord let people kind of look at their priorities and figure out what they're doing in that lesson, including Joseph, and that he says to him, this is not your worry. This is my worry. I'll take care of it. This is your worry. Yeah, and I also think there's a really powerful lesson here where Joseph sees a problem and he just moves on it. And he's like, great, let's go do this. And the Lord says, I'm not mad that you did that and how he's just going to steer them with the decision that they made. I think a lot of times people feel a little bit paralyzed when they make life decisions or they're seeking for revelation and they end up doing nothing. But it's neat to see that God can even take our follies and just weave them into his story. greater purposes and plan and story. And, and that's what he ends up doing um, in this place. At the end, we think this is neat. He actually tells them, it's interesting that like the debt is an emergency um, back in Kirtland. Like it's something that is like really, really pressing. And, but he still tells them, um, I, verse 7, I want you to just stay in this place for a little while. And, and I want you to become acquainted with the stories in the history of this place, which is kind of interesting. Let's talk about that for just a second. That when he says down in at the very end of the verse, there's more than in verse 10, there are more treasures than one for you in this city, which is so neat to think about yes. God saying that to us. I have more treasures than one uh, for you. He is that God of abundance, you know. But he tells them, study the ancient ha inhabitants of this, of this city. And they do. Um, and they learn, as you may know, about the, about the Salem witch trials. Yep. And they walk over like the rubble of a burnt cathedral. And they learn this powerful lesson also, that Salem was a city um, that was built up by the pilgrims to be a new Jerusalem. But in their zeal for um, being right, they ended up persecuting each other. And they'll learn a really powerful lesson about, about unity with people of other faiths and, and how um, that is more important than being right. And that will make a deep impression on them when they go to Nauvoo. So it's just interesting that like, yeah. this folly of his turns out to be like a really powerful learning uh, season. Um, um, I love, um, too, at the end of that, he says this, this verse. Um, there are more the treasures for you than one in this city, and I will order all things for your good as fast as you are able to receive them. And in my life, there have been so many times that this has been the set of verses that has hung on my fridge and on the mirror in my bathroom. Just to remember that even when I feel consumed by something overwhelming like debt or something else that is going on in life, to have that reminder that God sees it, he knows that it's there. And I love when he says there are more treasures than one for you in this city. 
sometimes we get so focused on the thing that we need resolved that we don't see him the work he's doing in all of the other things at that time and the treasures that are right in front yeah, of us and the us. treasures right in front of us and i love when he says i will order all things for your good as fast as you are able to receive them and i'm just intrigued i'm sure joseph was like well i want to pay that debt off tomorrow but god's like i my will for you is good and i know what to do and i will send it as fast as what needs to happen yeah interesting that he wants him to just sit in that um, problem for a minute. He's like, God's in no hurry to get him out of the problem because of the treasures that he will find in the midst of the problem. And I think too, because of the sifting that was taking place and that sometimes God allows us to go through that sifting process and we're going to watch that happen. It's interesting because we come, um, we come out of this lesson on treasure and I'm always so intrigued by how Joseph responded. Because he, he could have been like, no, this is why I came. This is what I'm doing. This is the most pressing concern for us. Uh, other people can come back and worry about the people, but I'm going to worry about this. And you love that Joseph was like, just humble and meek enough to be like, okay, if you don't want to worry about this thing that seems to be ruining everything, then I'll trust you on this one. And the interesting thing is we're going to watch treasure get in the way of several people during this period and, and um, priority and priority yeah. um, get in the way of what is happening. There is a great lead into section 112. Yeah. And let's catch you up with what happens in between because there's about a year of time in between section 111 and 112. When they get back from um, Massachusetts, they'll actually start a bank, which you may have heard of this before, um, the Kirtland Safety Society. They try to start a bank to try and like, you know, make money with investments and borrowing and all that money that can be made in a bank. They can't get a charter for it, so they start which is called an anti-bank, which was super common um, back in the time. It's just like uh, an investment company is what it was. A um, couple months after they start that bank, um, the bank fails. There is a national crisis. It's called the financial crisis of 1837, where about half of the banks in the whole United States closed their doors and it affected them um, as well. It was really bad timing because about a month before it failed, there was already some grumblings among some of the people that, we, that were the leadership of the church um, that saying that Joseph was a fallen prophet. In fact, February, the month right before the bank failed, they met in the Kirtland Temple to try and decide who should be the next president and, and leader of the church. The only problem with that anti-Joseph Smith meeting is they invited Brigham Young to it. And if I could just give anyone some advice, it would be if you're going to have an anti-Joseph Smith meeting, don't invite Brigham Young. Um, <laughs> there's some fun stories you can read in, in Saints about that. But um, So it just starts when that fails, it just like creates a firestorm of everybody like they lose their money, they are doubting what's happening with, with Joseph. There's grumbling in the leadership. There is rebellion in the leadership. Um, it's powerful to me always that in the middle of this, like it, it honestly is a crisis of a financial crisis and a faith crisis in Kirtland. And in the middle of that, there's this sweet story of Heber C. Kimball sitting in the Kirtland temple. He says, right by the table we used for the sacrament, and Joseph coming up to him and saying, the spirit whispers to me, let my servant Heber take a mission to England and open up the door of salvation unto that nation. 
um, that Joseph still, like all this <laughs> business is happening, he still knows God's treasure is people. And that's still my work. Like he learned the lesson. And now, and, and Heber C. Kimball goes off on this mission to the British Isles, which will save the church, essentially. By the time we get to Utah, mm -hmm. there are more British saints than there are saints from the United States. Like it infuses the church with this believing, faithful yeah. blood. And it really will save and the church. who had to sacrifice so much to get here that they weren't going to give up on yeah. what they had begun. So that's just like a little snuck in there. Now, right after that, Thomas B. Marsh has been living in Missouri. And kind let's of remind where everyone who Thomas B. Marsh is. Okay, he we met him back um, just in the beginning. He's the one who... Um, who read 16 pages of the Book of Mormon, you remember, got a copy of right off, hot off the press, and, and was just in, and has been a leader um, and he in was the, the church since then. He was then. the one that was 16 pages and one month, and then called on a mission, remember? And then he just jumps into this thing, and he is he's full go. Um, he gets called as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. In 1835, he serves with the Twelve, apostles who all go to serve that mission to the eastern states and then we get to July um, 1837 and it's interesting because this is the time when there is so much dissension going on in the church and the contention and part of the reason for this blessing is the counsel that he receives in verse 12 where it says and pray for thy brethren of the twelve admonish them sharply for my name's sake and let them be admonished for all their sins and be ye faithful before me unto my name so part of the charge thomas has given at this time is you've got to pull in all of these apostles and strengthen these things um, in this place and, and that's kind of the call of this blessing that comes here it's interesting the date of it july 23rd thomas b marsh hears grumblings from kirtland um, three of the members of the Twelve are involved in trying to overthrow Joseph. They're also involved in, in stealing and embezzling money uh, from the bank, which is one of the reasons that it fails also. Um, Parley P. Pratt, he meets on the way and he is just like, I don't know what's happening, da da da. And he, he calls a meeting for July 24th. But the day before, he goes to Joseph and says, does the Lord have any counsel for me for that meeting? Which is interesting because I, I love that that's how it starts. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily how it's going to end, but his first thought is, what's what the, the Lord, Lord, what's the Lord want me to do? Tell me to do. And it's awesome because the Lord gives him such specific counsel. And one thing we want you to watch, and this will be a spoiler alert, is he's going to give this specific counsel and Thomas is actually going to end up going against every piece of this counsel. But it's interesting just to look at the Lord set this up for him because he sees what's coming. And this is, this is a warning voice, not just to the apostles, but, um, or not just to Thomas, but to everyone who's living in that time. Um, he's, he tells him in verse 4, be of good cheer, um, which is so interesting because of what's going to happen is um, in the end, he's going to get angry. And it's so interesting that the Lord is like, Thomas, be of good cheer. That's what you need to do. In verse 5, he tells him, contend for the church. In verse 6, he tells him, don't remove your house from this place. Don't move out of where we are. Stay in it because I have a great work for you to do. In verse 10, he tells them, be humble. In verse 11, he says um, a line that we love so much. Be not partial 
um, towards them in love above many others, but let thy love be for them as for thyself. So he's trying to teach him, you've got to love everybody equally. And, and these men that you're working with, and then in verse 15, such a telling piece of counsel, which is simply rebel not against my servant, Joseph. This is the counsel that is in one twelve. This The Lord gives him this counsel. And just like uh, this is probably going to come up again and again, but I just think it's interesting that the Lord says not rebel, not against Joseph. He says, rebel, not against my servant, Joseph. Right. Uh, it's because it's not going to be about Joseph. Yeah. It's about the fact that it's the Lord working through Joseph. Um, and, I, and I think he's going to have a hard time seeing Reconciling that. Reconciling that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what happens is there is um, two cows. That's where the story is going to begin. Two cows, you said? Yeah, two oh. cows. <laughs> and you're like, there is? Yes. Um, and one of the cows is the Marcia's cow. And um, Thomas's wife finds a friend. They want to make really good cheese. So what they decide they're going to do is and they're going to share the milk of those two cows because that's how you make the best cheese. It's, and it's not just the milk, but it's something called the strippings. And the agreement was they would both give 100% of what they got when it was their turn to share. But Thomas's wife doesn't. Mrs. Marsh, wishing for better cheese, it tells us, <laughs> kept back a portion of the strippings when it was her turn to give the cheese. And over time, it gets found out. And the two women have a disagreement over it. And they can't solve it on their own. So there ends up being a church court. And the church court rules in favor of the other woman. And so they appeal to the high council. And the high council says this is Mrs. Marsh's fault. And that makes Thomas mad. So he appeals to the first presidency over these strippings is what happens. And the first presidency finds Mrs. Marsh guilty. And they side with what the high council decide. Joseph sides with the um, what the high council decide and um, Thomas is so mad that he ends up moving remember that was one of the things he wasn't supposed to do but he ends up he leaves the church and then he moves and then he signs an affidavit and this is how Joseph explains the affidavit he says this Martin made an affidavit to the vilest slanders and lies that he could invent he lied and swore falsely, and he was ready to take the lives of his best friends. And that affidavit is just one of the series of domino effects that will lead to the extermination order from Governor Boggs in Missouri. And a lot of suffering, a lot of yeah, death it's that domino. associated with it, too. Um, and then they end up leaving, and um, Thomas doesn't go he stays for 18 years. He just kind of wanders from state to state. And then there gets a point where he says, I want to die in the church. And I love this. He says this, oh, if I could just see Joseph and talk with him and acknowledge my faults to him and get his forgiveness from him, then I would die happy. And you, you see this um, coming to himself, this turning. And he comes back and, and says to Brigham, he ends up coming back to Utah and says to Brigham, I want to come back and would you have me back into the church? And, um, he, and Brigham tells him he can address a congregation of saints on Temple Square. And I just imagine that moment of him standing up there 
because these are saints who would remember the extermination order. They are going to remember the strippings and the excommunication and everything that he said about them and the walking across um, from Missouri in that pouring rain and on the riverbanks and the mm. everything that happened there. And um, he comes back and he starts out by saying this, and we both are in love with this phrase. He talks about the Lord and he says, he loved me too much to let me go without a whipping. And just talks about how hard the last 18 years of his life had been and that the Lord just kept trying to shake him and get him back. Yeah, even in that, that section, if you want to go back to, we didn't show this verse 13. The Lord even tells him, after temptations and tribulations, I, the Lord, will feel after them. Ugh. That's such a powerful image of him just like, I'm going to keep reaching yeah, I'm gonna after chase. those who've turned, not just those who are lost, but those who have turned their back yeah. on me as well. So good. And then he asked this question that is so interesting to me. He says this, I've thought to myself many times, how is it that a man like you who understands so much of the revelations of God could fall away? Isn't that so interesting? And it's a question that we ask of those early church leaders also. How is it that someone with that much knowledge, with watching everything that was going on, with seeing the things that they saw and um, the visions that they saw and experiencing the things that they experienced, even in Kirtland, how is it that someone like that could fall away? And I think it's a question we could ask ourselves. He says to the people who are there, you should be careful because it could happen to you. And I just think that is so interesting when he says that. Um, and then he gives three reasons for what caused him to fall away. And when I read these the first time, I remember thinking, it sounds like the reason at the root of why every single person has eventually left when you hear the stories. Um, he says first... Do you want me to read the whole quote? And then yeah, are you going to read yeah. that whole entire quote? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not it too long, and then you can pull the things okay. out. Yeah. He says, I became jealous of the prophet. Oh, wait, and then... you want to start earlier. You want to start right here. Oh, you read it. Okay. You're okay. Okay, so I don't know if you had the quote yeah. or not. Okay. He says, I have frequently wanted to know how my apostasy began. And I have come to the conclusion first that I must have lost the spirit of the Lord out of my heart. That's the first one. It is so good. And I think it's a good self-check for us to say, um, are there times when I lose the spirit? Because that was his number one. That's where everything began, is in that moment. The next question is, how and when did you lose the spirit? He asks, and he says, I became jealous of the prophet. And then I saw double and overlooked everything that was right and spent all my time looking for the evil, which I think is number two. When you get to a point where all you are looking for is everything that is wrong, um, that's a second sign of apostasy. And then he says this, and then when the devil began to lead me, it was easy for the carnal mind to rise up, which is anger, jealousy, and wrath. I could feel it within me. I felt angry and wrathful. And the spirit of the Lord being gone, as the scriptures say, I was blinded. And then listen how interesting this line is. I got mad and I wanted everyone else to be mad. Isn't that so interesting? Mm -hmm. I, I just think about those three things. First of all, I lost the spirit of the Lord. That's number one. Number two, I started looking for everything that was evil around me. 
And number three, I got mad and I wanted everyone else to be mad. We have a little spot on the study sheet where you can um, fill those in and just think about those. It's interesting because um, the Lord gives the antidote for that right in Thomas's um, section. In section 112, he says this, Inasmuch as they shall humble themselves before me and abide in my word and hearken to the voice of my spirit. There's the answer. Listen to my spirit. Get back into the word, right? What is it that caught Martin's or uh, Thomas's. Thomas's heart at the very beginning was those 16 pages. Just get back into the word and humble yourselves and it will all be resolved with time. Um, it's interesting because at the end of those 18 years, he says when he's in that, when he's talking, he says, I learned the Lord could get along very well without me and he has lost nothing by my falling out of the ranks, but oh, what have I lost? And when he was done talking, Brigham Young asked for a vote of the whole congregation of who wanted to let Thomas back in. And I just, I can't help but think about that moment, um, that congregation, Brigham Young standing up there and Thomas Marsh standing up there and those people looking at this man whose decisions that started with an argument over cow's milk caused so much pain in their lives and in what would happen for them. And it's interesting because the accounts all read that every hand was raised in welcoming him back in and um, not a hand was raised in opposition. And I think there are two super important lessons from Thomas's story that we learned. And the first one we like to call this, sell the cow. If there's something in your life that is causing you to lose the spirit, to look for the evil that is around you, that is making you mad, just sell the cow. I wrote in my scripture, sell the stupid cow. That makes it so much better. <laughs> because, just sell the stupid yeah, cow. <laughs> just sell the cow and move past that thing. Because if that's going to be the tipping point, get rid of the tipping point, whatever it is, and just invest yourself back in fully. That's the first lesson. Um, and, and I have just written at the bottom of mine, sell, just sell the cow. It's so easy at the very beginning to solve whatever the problem is. But the second lesson that I think is really powerful in this is those saints who had been so hurt by that man, unanimously welcoming him back into the fold. And I think that's important when we think about, um, would, we, would we be that quick to forgive? Um, and to welcome And to welcome back in. Back in. It's so important. Um, we get so caught up in these apostasy stories. We get caught up in what was happening that was wrong. And I want to get caught up also in the fact that everyone who wanted to come back was welcomed back. Every single one. And that's the type of church I want to be, is that kind of church. And maybe I'd add a third lesson onto that too, which is it's interesting that all of the talk during the apostasy was about Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Mm. When he comes back, it's all about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And when it Thomas seems comes like, back. Right, when he comes back. It seems like, it's like, oh, you were focused on the wrong thing. Treasure. Right? On the wrong treasure. I was like, set your sights and your heart on, on the Lord and said, how did all those people unanimously forgive? There is no way 
unless they had their own hearts set on the Lord as well. And I, I just think that's a, a powerful lesson too. And you see that with Heber C. Kimball and Brigham Young, the only two apostles who never turned their heel, they said, against him. They said, during those hard times, we spent so many nights on our knees. And I think that was the key. Yeah. That they, it, was, it was a connection with, with God and not with leadership. Yep. There's two more stories we just want to end with quickly at the end. We can't be here in Far West without telling you um, both of these stories. One has to do with a man named David Patton. Um, the people back then called him Captain Fearnot, which you just love that that was his name. And there are just a few stories about him, but oh, I wish we could look at all the stories of why those people would have called him Captain Fearnot. What, what was it that he did um, that was so amazing for those people? Um, he was 38 years old and a member of the 12 apostles also. He and Thomas were um, close companions in everything that they were doing. Yeah, and leadership here in, in the Missouri side of the church. Yep, it tells us um, he witnessed apostasy here, everything that was going on. He actually struggled with some things um, during those Kirtland years, but he remained true to Joseph. That's something that we do know about David Patton. And um, there was a time when he said to Joseph, I, I, want, I love this church so much. I love everything so much. I want to die a martyr. And Joseph says to him, when a man of your faith asks the Lord for anything, he generally gets it. And that is going to end up proving to be true of um, David Patton, of Captain Fairnot. What happens is the mob takes a bunch of prisoners over by Crooked River. And he finds out about it. And at midnight one night, he gathers together a group of 75 men to go after these prisoners. And they go down by that river and a shot is fired. And as soon as the shot is fired, he, he just gives a shout for everybody to go. And it scares the mob and the mob disperses. They all go um, everywhere they're going. And as they're running, one mobber stopped to catch his breath behind a tree and shoots and shoots um, David Patton in the stomach and he will die that night from that wound and we love what he says just as he's lying there the very last words he says right before he dies he says this I feel that I have kept the faith I have finished my course and then he says to his wife um, whatever else you do oh do not deny the faith and I just love that contrast between he and Thomas Marsh and even in their um, marriage and in the way that they were going to do things that he's like, I've done everything I could do for this church and for this cause. And that his very last words are to his wife, whatever else you do, oh, do not deny the faith. We love when you read his section is in 113. Is that right? 114. 114. Um, at the very end, there is just a line that we love there. Um, this is a, a revelation that is given to him. And then it says this, um, Verily thus saith the Lord, I'm in verse 2, that inasmuch as there are those among you who deny my name, others shall be planted in their stead and receive their bishopric. Amen. And we just love this thought that in a time where so many were denying what was going on, that the Lord already was raising up people who would be planted in their steads, people who would be true to their faith, people who would finish the course, people who no matter what else happened would not deny the name of Christ. And we're going to watch in this sifting process the people who deny and leave 
and the people who are planted in their stead. Yeah, it ends up being such a struggle that 10% of the church membership will leave during this and 33% of the leadership will leave. And, and, and you know, it, like that took its toll. But remember that mission that Heber C. Kimball took over to England? He said, when I got off the boat, there was a banner floating above this store and the banner said, truth will prevail. Hmm. And he said, I took that as an omen and a sign. And, and there was so much reception of the gospel of Christ over there that now all of a sudden there is, the, there is this new energy to like do missionary work in England. And David Patton actually was called. He says, the Lord says, next spring, we want you to go you know, over to England. He never gets to serve that mission, but some others do. And this section is not in our like grouping of verses here. But for this we, week. Yeah, for this week. But yep. we have to just sneak over to it real quick here at the end. Um, in section 118, this is uh, a list of a couple of members of the new members of the 12 who are going to replace those who fell. Uh, some of them you may know. John Taylor, Johnny Page, Wilford Woodruff, and um, Willard Richards. And he wants them, it says in section 118, I want you to take leave of the saints, this is verse 5, from the city of Far West on the 26th day of April next, which will be April 1839. By the time you get to April 1839, the extermination order will have happened, Joseph will be in Liberty Jail, and the saints will all be gone from here all the way into Illinois already. And so, but so you've got this prophecy, I want you to leave from the Far West Temple site in a year from now, but in a year from then, it was a mess. Yeah, and there and was nobody's no here. Way. It was all abandoned. In fact, Wilford Woodruff said this, um, that the mob said this, we swear by all the gods of eternity, if every other prophecy of Joseph is fulfilled, that one won't be. They were determined <laughs> to prove him a fallen prophet by not letting the 12 leave from this site. This site right here where we are right um, now. On April 26, 1839. So this is awesome. When it gets close to that, Brigham gathers the 12 there in Quincy, Illinois, right at the beginning of April. And he says to them, what should we do? Do you think our good intentions are enough? And they all look at each other and they're like, no, the Lord commanded it. Let's do it. So they come back here. It is in the middle of the night. <laughs> so under the cover of night, they come here and they actually go and to this spot and they lay um, a cornerstone for the temple um, over there and dedicate the land. Wilford Woodruff will actually kneel on that cornerstone and that is when he is ordained an apostle, is there on that night. And then why they decided to do this, I don't know. They decide to sing a hymn together, <laughs> even though like they are being hunted and have a bounty on their head. They sing the hymn, Adam on Diamond, which we'll talk about next lesson, actually. They sing that hymn, and then they decide, let's go. And as they walk out, they're with a guy. His name is Theodore Turley. This is the best part of the story. And he just can't help it. It is one in the morning, and he goes to his old friend Isaac Russell's house, who is now an apostate, and one who has sworn that they won't fulfill it, and knocks on the door wakes up his wife, his wife comes to the door. She's like, well, Brother Turley, what are you doing here? She's like, is Isaac home? And then she says, yeah, he's here and he's back in the corner. And he says, what are you doing? And he says, I just wanted to remind you what day it was. It's <laughs> April 26, 1839. See ya, right? And then he leaves and he says, he like throws down his hat. 
But it's just so neat that all these people, when you watch where their courage comes from, when you watch where their devotion and dedication comes from, it's because they said the Lord commanded it. So at all costs, uh, let's do it. And that seems to be um, the power that keeps them in, that keeps them dedicated and devoted. It's the right treasure. Yeah, it's the right treasure and the right perspective. It's the right priorities, right? That's what you start seeing all the way through is that treasure and the just that priority staying in the right place. Um, we're going to have Jason sing for us. By now you all know who Jason is. Uh, such a fun song here um, talking about just that making the decision and being all in and keeping your priority on the Lord and staying focused on what's most important, keeping your heart on where your treasure should be. Okay, and then we'll see you next week. I'm not gonna hold it in anymore This world needs what I have to say today Thousands of years of souls fighting for The day of truth restored Have paved my way For everyone who chose this path and the aftermath And gave me all I have As I stand at these doors Today is the day I will open my mouth I will shout from the rooftops The truth will come out And I'm sharing my soul With the words that I speak With a love that has made me this way Yes, today is the day I proclaim what I believe. I can't control the souls in front of me. And those who listen to my voice make their choice. What they leave, what they take, if they stay or walk away. How they feel once they've closed that door So I'm not gonna worry about Their fears and doubts As I walk out into this world once more Today is the day I will open my mouth I will shout from the rooftops The truth will come out and I'm has made me this way Yes, today is the day I proclaim what I believe The gospel's the good news of life everlasting and families that won't fade away And I'll stand as a witness that love lasts forever And I will not wait Today is the day I proclaim
would I This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.